When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tuesday, February 1st, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, uh, again, not a lot of progress. Uh, I think the, the latest is that the uh, both sides in the Major League Baseball uh, labor dispute are going to uh, meet this week at the uh, Major League Baseball offices this time uh, to continue their negotiations, uh, you know, Maybe the maybe something will come out of those talks. Yeah, they were scheduled to meet today, Joe. I think uh, okay. they'll get together today on Tuesday, and uh, we'll see from there. And they'll address some of the core issues, uh, you know, the core economic issues, and go back at that with, uh, I think, arbitration, the um, you know the CBA, the luxury tax, and uh, roster manipulation, and uh, the draft lottery as as the kind of the main points. Okay. Uh, so we'll look for for word on that later on today. Uh, yesterday in uh, a Cleveland.com uh, story uh, by Andrew Tobias out of Columbus, uh, who was looking at campaign finances for the U.S. Senate uh, race that's going on there. Uh, Andrew wrote that uh, Larry Dolan, uh, who's retired, and his wife, Ava, and uh, his brother, Charles Dolan, each donated a million dollars to a political action committee that was newly formed in October. Uh, the committee has no stated purpose, but uh, it's you know well known that that Dolan's son Matt is a state senator uh, in Ohio, and he is running for uh, the U.S. Senate uh, for the seat that's being uh, vacated by Rob Portman. Uh, he's opposed by the likes of Josh Mandel, Mike Gibbons, Bernie Moreno, and uh, you know for for those who follow baseball, uh, you know and don't really pay attention to politics. Uh, this is sort of a, this is a hotly contested uh, race uh, among the, the Republicans in that primary in May. Uh, and, uh, you know, to, to know that this uh, political action committee now uh, has donations from the Dolan family uh, in excess of $3 million there, uh, you know, that it, it doesn't really connect anything to the, the baseball side of things, the, the Guardian side of things, other than, you know, Dolan's family owns the club. Yeah, that, that's from what, what I understand, Joe. And, uh, you know, they're, they're donating f- to help their, uh, their son's campaign. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, a recent campaign finance filing shows that Dolan has more than $10 million cash on hand for the race. And that's nearly double the next closest uh, of his opponents in Mike Gibbons. But, you know, Baseball fans, Guardians fans shouldn't get confused by any of this because that's all money that's from a separate pot. That's a separate deal uh, from anything that, that can be used for payroll for, for the club. Don't get confused by that and don't, uh, don't sort of misconstrue, you know, where, where money can be coming from. And anybody who, um, 
who really thinks, oh, well, the Dolans are always crying poor, but, but they've got, you know, $10 million to run a, a Senate campaign. That's not really the case. That money is, is earmarked specifically for uh, that, that Senate race, and it's not uh, anything that can be used for, you know, bringing in a right fielder next year. That's, that's, that's not in the cards. All right, that sounds good to me. Right. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we we want to talk. Hey, the big story that everybody is talking about today uh, right now is that uh, Tom Brady, uh, the uh, seven-time Super Bowl champion quarterback, is retiring. And, and, you know, I just wanted to take a minute here to just sort of think back. You know, uh, Brady's career uh, stands alone, stands by itself. Uh, he's a, a 100% first-time, first ballot Hall of Famer as soon as he gets in. Uh, you've you've been to you know superstar press uh, conferences for retirements before. You were you were at Michael Jordan's first retirement uh, press conference. <laughs> we we've told that story here on the podcast before, but you know just any sort of parallels between Brady retiring and and being you know in that sort of uh, that setting when when Jordan stepped away for the first time. Yeah, that was strange. That was uh, during the uh, Toronto Toronto and the White Sox were in the postseason. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jordan decided to retire the morning of one of the, you know, before one of the games. And uh, they called me from work and said, you know, can you get up there and uh, and see this? And uh, I said, yeah. And, uh, you know, I rented a car, drove up there and uh, it was interesting. But, you know, I think people when Jordan retired, I think there was always that 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 suspicion that he was coming back. You know, right. that, okay, that he was going to take a break and play baseball, and then he was going to come back to the NBA. But uh, with uh, with Brady, I think this is it. I mean, you know, you're 44, 45 years old. You know, either <laughs> it's now or never. You've, you've, got, you've, you've squeezed a lot of juice out of your body for, for sure. Yeah, at 44, you sort of get one, one bite at the retirement apple. You don't, you don't keep going back. That was yeah. the first of uh, – you were there for the first of three Jordan retirements. I don't think, uh, I think everybody thought, you know, he, he still had a little left in him at, at the time. Uh, are there any uh, Indians retirements or anybody stands out from, you know, retiring and, or stepping away from, uh, from the Indians that, that sort of, you know, either caught you by surprise or touched you sort of uh, emotionally when, when you saw these guys. I mean, these are, these are players that, that spend, you know, from age nine all the way up through uh, their their adult prime years, uh, you know, giving to the game, and then, you know, when they're when they're done, it's it's sort of it can be emotional. Yeah, it is, and uh, you know, I, Joe, t- to be frank, I, I don't, you know, usually when <laughs> there there hasn't been too many, you know, spur of the moment retirements. Um, as 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 Indians ball players that I've covered because they usually get traded or they're free agents <laughs> and they walk away you know there's still you know, still time left uh, on their in their careers you know Sandy Alomar Carlos Baerga Albert Bell uh, you know guys like you know Kenny Lofton you know those really good players uh, you know Burt Blyland Rick Sutcliffe you know the Dennis Martinez <clears throat> they all went on and kept pitching so they really didn't have a, uh, you know, a per se retirement that I can think of. I, I'm tr- I, I know I'm well, missing some guys. Well, I know, I know Jim Tomey went on and, you know, after he left Cleveland, he did come back and, and, you know, have a cup of tea with the, the club at, uh, at, at one time. 
but you know he had played in in Minnesota he had played in Chicago you know closer to home for him and and so when he stepped away that was that was sort of a you know a retirement that was was shared by multiple teams and and you know he, even when he went into the Hall of Fame you know he had a tour that summer where he he stopped and had you know ceremonies at at every ballpark that he had almost almost every ballpark that he had played in uh so yeah it was different when when he, he, you know, he was, Tommy was an Indians player and he went into the Hall of Fame as an Indians player, but, you know, he had been shared by so many other, other teams yeah. after his time in Cleveland that, you know, it was sort of almost watered down or diluted and it wasn't, you know, like our retirement ceremony for him. Yeah, I remember when I was covering the Browns and this is a long, long time ago, Reggie Rucker retired and uh, he, you know, they brought him into the, to the press room and, he was talking about it. He broke down. He was crying, you know, and, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's emotional. Those are those moments, you know, where a guy, you just think about it, you know, a kid has been playing football or baseball since you, mm -hmm. like you said, Joe, you're six or seven years old. You, you get to the top of the mountain and you stay there for so long and then, then it's over and you got to give it up and move on. Yeah. That was, uh, the, the only time I've ever had a, a player, uh, that I was interviewing get emotional on me was I was talking to David Justice and this is 20 years ago uh, I, I had him on the phone and I, I just offhandedly asked him about if he had thought about you know what he was going to do with, with his himself after his playing days were over and I, you heard a crack in his voice and he just got like you could tell he was choked up and, and it sort of caught him off off guard so uh, that emotion is there that emotion is is, is real and raw I, I would will be shocked not to see something like that in a in a press uh, press conference clip out of Tom Brady today or whenever they they line up to to make make everything official but uh you know just just think it, it got me thinking about retirements and it got me thinking yeah uh Cleveland uh Cleveland Indians uh you know Cleveland baseball here hasn't really had one of those you know big superstar step away retirement moments uh that yeah, I can you know recall. Now, you know, Herbie Score retired here, you know, as okay. a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I remember that, uh, you know, uh, I think we, we were in Toronto and, uh, you know, I asked him, he said, I'm going to retire, but can you just keep it on the down low? <laughs> and the, the next day he retired when they got back to Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that was kind of emotional because, you know, you just think of, of a long career as a player, ups and downs as a player. And then, you know, he meant so much to, you know, people, the fans as a broadcaster right. in the community. That was, yeah. I, I mean, and that's it. Don't even, don't even take me down that road because I can't even bear to bear the thought of you know Hammy retiring or anything like that. That that I that would just you know tear me up, and and, and I'm sure a lot of people as well. But you're right. Uh, you know, uh, Herb Score stepping away uh, was it's one of those benchmark moments. Uh, you know, you 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 set the 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 order of the franchise by you know you know when 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 score was was on the call and when he retired and when he stopped and, and that's you know uh those big moments all right uh let's uh let's take a second here i want to mention uh we've been doing this uh, tw uh top 25 uh players personalities uh people that, that we've covered uh, that you've covered in uh, your time on the beat here at, at Cleveland.com and, uh, and the Plain Dealer. And I, I want to say our subtextures have been great uh, giving us feedback about these players. Each time we, we mention a guy and we'll put it in subtext, we've gotten some great responses. 
Uh, we want that to continue. Uh, guys who are out there listening and, and following, uh, give us your, your best stories about these individuals. Uh, but subtext itself has been going great, and, and we want it to get even better as, you know, the hopefully the potential season here gets closer. Uh, you can sign up on online, uh, cleveland.com slash subtext to sign up. Uh, it's a, a subscription service where uh, Hoinsey and I uh, text daily uh, whatever insider information, whatever uh, insights or analysis that we have, it goes to the subscribers first, and then they can respond to us. And it's more of a dialogue. It's a, it's a lot of fun to talk to, uh, to you guys when, when you give us good stuff to talk about and, and, and exchange with you. Uh, it, it really works and it's a lot of fun. You can sign up for $3.99 a month uh, if you send a text to 216-208-4346 or again, go to cleveland.com slash subtext and click on Paul's smiling face. He's, uh, he's, <laughs> the, uh, he's the, the masthead for the, uh, the whole subtext experience for the Cleveland Guardians here. Uh, today, I think uh, it's going to be pretty obvious when I start describing the top 25 individual that we're going to uh, talk about uh, right off the bat. Uh, drafted by Texas. Uh, he came to the Indians in a trade from San Diego in June of 1979. In parts of seven seasons with Cleveland, he had 860 hits, 33 home runs, 383 RBIs, and a 778 OPS. He, was, he is ninth all-time in uh, franchise on-base percentage. Uh, and then he won 721 games as a manager in Cleveland, the third most in franchise history. Uh, but I, I think what pro, one thing that we'll, we'll always remember, he was on the field uh, with Texas during 10 cent beer night at the old stadium. Uh, so this guy, this guy spanned uh, a lot of generations and a lot of time with, uh, with the Indians. Uh, Hoinsey, who are we talking about? It's gotta be Grover, Mike Hargrove, uh, Joe, what uh, what a career he had, uh, especially in Cleveland. I mean, I saw him. I covered him as a player, a coach, and then a manager. I mean, he he, uh, you know, just uh, you know, a long, really great career, and he topped it off with a heck of a run as a manager. Like you said, seven hundred twenty wins, two trip, two American League pennants, two trips to the to the uh, uh, the World Series. I think five straight. Uh, AL Central Division uh, championships, uh, just a marvelous career. Now, Grover was was best known, I think widely known, as the human rain delay for his meticulous routine in the batter's box. He'd, he'd step out, he'd tug on his uh, shirt sleeves, he'd readjust his batting gloves, uh, and then he'd do it all over again before he stepped in, and it drove, uh, man, it drove managers and pitchers and, and umpires crazy. What made him... Uh, you know, when you covered him, what made him such a good hitter and what made him able to, to translate that and carry that over into the dugout as a coach and a manager? We such he had, I think he was really an, an intelligent hitter, a patient hitter. You know, he had a, a blueprint of his stance, you know, that he would, that when he was struggling, he would put in the batter's box and it would show him where his feet, feet were when he was going good. So he would, you know, he would, he would do all those things, you know, and he also, you know, the whole routine with the, you know, the bat and uh, stepping out and pulling the batting gloves on, I think it frustrated a lot of hitters, I mean, pitchers. And, you know, he, he took advantage of that. And he, 
the UC get letters from the American League president. You know, you're taking, you're slowing the game down to, you're slowing the game down. You got to pick up the pace here. Even before, uh, you know, the pace of play controversy, they were after Grover about that. Yeah, he'd be number one on Rob Manfred's hit list uh, uh, in terms of players. I, I, you wouldn't be able to do what he did now. Nowadays, you can't step out of the batter's box completely the way he did. Uh, yeah, it, you, you had that one foot out, one foot in, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it was it was fun. And then Sharon, his wife, had the routine down too. She 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 could do the whole the whole thing. She could mimic it. Wow, that's great. Uh, the thing I liked about Grover is you know he he you know he he did something he. He became a manager uh, the old the old school way. You know, now, guys, you know, you kind of you don't even have to be a player almost or a big leaguer to be a manager. But, you know, Grover played 12 years in the big leagues. Then, you know, in in uh, 1986, he went all the way down to uh, to coach at Class A Batavia. He managed three more years after that in the minors, then, you know, became a first base coach with uh, John McNamara when he was the manager. And eventually replaced Mac uh, Johnny Mac when uh, when McNamara got fired in uh, 1991. How was he with players in terms of you know was he uh, you hear like you know players manager or something like that was I mean he he could discipline a guy if he if he needed to right there if there was there were so many personalities on those great 90s 90s teams that that he sort of had to juggle and 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 manage uh, you know. How was he in dealing with the personalities in a clubhouse? He was great. He was great. That was a really a, a strength of his. You know, he controlled the clubhouse. He, you know, I always think of, uh, you know, Grover was from Texas. And I think, uh, you know, I will make, make that comparison of the Texas Rangers. You know, he was a rookie of the year with the Rangers. But the old, the real Texas Rangers, the saying was one riot, one Ranger. And, uh, you know, he, <laughs> he handled, he could handle the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, you know, there was never, there was never too much. There wasn't a problem in, in that, in that, in the, in the clubhouse with Grover because he knew, he knew how to deal with guys. He was always honest with them. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just, and like you were saying, Joe, that, that was a, that was not an easy clubhouse to, to manage, especially when, when they got really good and, you know, that's starting in 95. You know, you had Albert Bell and Dennis Martinez and Eddie Murray and Carlos Baerga, Oral Hershiser. You had superstars. You know, that was that was a, a, a team of really talented players. But with that kind of talent comes a lot of egos. And, and uh, you know, um, Mike just did a great job uh, handling those guys. I remember uh, Eddie Murray, <clears throat> when he was losing playing time in Cleveland, uh, they started playing other guys at first base. And he was unhappy and Grover knew he was unhappy. And, and, uh, you know, Eddie was kind of, they had him and John Hart have been real close from their days in Baltimore, but there was some friction growing, growing between them. And, uh, you know, I would see Grover and, and Eddie Murray walking in the outfield before games, just talking it out. And, you know, eventually they traded Eddie, but, you know, you know, it could have been a lot worse because, but the way Grover handled it, you know, he really kept, kept things, uh, you know, kept that equilibrium. And, and it wasn't like there was no controversies during, uh, you know, Grover's, you know, time in the dugout there or managing. He, he did have, you know, he had to deal with, with Jack Morris and, and just his, uh, he wasn't around much when, when they had them first there in, in 94. Uh, 
are there any other, you know, stories like that uh, about Grover, uh, you know, just handling controversies or anything that, that you remember or recall that, uh, that, that stand out? Yeah. It, uh, you know, the boating accident, of course, you know, in spring training in, in uh, 91, when, you know, Steve Olin and uh, Tim Cruz, uh, Steve, uh, Steve, oh man, Steve Olin and Tim Cruz. Yeah. When, uh, when, you know, Steve Olin and Tim Cruz were, you know, were, were died in a boating accident and Bobby Ojeda was seriously injured. Um, you know, I, I thought he was uh, really a pillar of strength in, during that time. He really held that club together. You know, it was devastating for him too, but uh, he really, him and the whole organization, you know, kind of rallied around that club, but he was, I thought he was the focal point and really kept that, that team centered and, and, you know, they, they paid their respects and did, you know, they, 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 they handled it as well as could be expected. Uh, what was Grover like on the road? I, you know, on the, on the road is where you sort of get to know uh, these guys a little more personally and, and, you know, uh, just in, in the travel and all that, what was, what was it like covering Grover on the road? No, he was, you know, he was fine. I mean, he would, as a player, he was always a guy you could go to and talk to. He would always, you know, he was a good off day story. You know, he was, <laughs> he was all, you know, he'd, he'd talk, you know, you could always talk to him. He was, he was interested in everything. He was always reading uh, as a manager, you know, he, he, he kind of, you know, he had to, he had a temper a little bit and, and uh, you know, we, we butted heads a few times, but the one thing about Grover was, you know, he would never hold a grudge. I mean, he could yell at you one day and everything was the next day, everything would be fine. You know, you would, you know, there wasn't any holdover. And I always re appreciated that because the last thing you want to do is, is upset the manager, because if you upset the manager, you know, it, that's going to, and you, you kind of, and you're a beat guy, you're kind of on the outside looking in, you know, for the rest of the year, but he, uh, he, he never did that. So I, I right. always appreciated that. But but you were never you, you never had any problem writing something that was critical of uh you know a, a player a move or a you know a decision right I mean Grover would you know he might be grumpy or, or or so but you know he he always respected you in terms of that yeah yeah you know he knew you had a job to do he knew, you know he had played for twelve years in the big leagues he knew what you know how beat guys operate after he left uh, Cleveland after, you know, the, it was sort of controversial when, when John Hart let him go after the 99 season, uh, you know, he, he sort of, I, he, the best story about that is that um, what was the 2004, the, the opening day game, uh, the snow out game where he, he waited until the last possible second uh, to, to call for the, the umpiring crew. And, you know, I, I mean, that was, that was when you knew Grover knew what he was doing. Uh, when he when he came when he popped out of that dugout, everybody in the the press box had to know uh, that it was it was pretty crazy. Yeah, Paul Bird was throwing a no hitter too. <laughs> that was he was the human rain delay as a player and the human snow delay as a manager. So he got that game uh, called and they had to move the whole series to Milwaukee. So uh, or no, well they had to move the next series uh, against the Angels right. to Milwaukee. Yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a good move by Grover. That was some one-upmanship there. And and now, you know, when he comes back and, and does uh, functions with, uh, you know, Cleveland alumni, uh, you know, the with the team, and he, he serves as a sort of a special advisor in, in some capacity with the front office, 
he, he really is sort of a beloved character and a beloved figure with the franchise and, and among the fans here uh, in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you know, you think about what, what he accomplished as a manager. You know, he took the, uh, the Indians uh, to, the World to the World Series in 1995, ending, what, a 41-year postseason drought, not just a World Series drought. They go to, you know, 95, then they go back in 97. And I really think that was probably his best job of managing, Joe. The, that team was 89 and 73. They win the division, but, you know, they weren't that dominant uh, during, during the, the regular season. But they go 10 and 8 in postseason. They beat the Yankees in five games. You know, Sandy Alomar hits the homer against, against Mariano Rivera. Then they beat the, 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 they win the ALCS against Oakland in six with Tony Fernandez hitting the, in the, hitting the game winner off uh, Benitez in the 11th. And, uh, you know, then they go to the World Series and, and go seven games against the Marlins. And, uh, you know, he makes a great call, a tough call, you know, starting Jared Wright over Charlie Nagy, you know, a veteran guy that, you know, had, you know, really one of his big starters. And uh, uh, Wright gives them, you know, six, six or seven great innings, but they end up losing in 11. So just uh, I thought that was really a, a great, a great run by that team and a great run by uh, Grover as, as a manager. Well, he's uh, won countless awards and been recognized in, in Cleveland in the years since his, uh, his time uh, managing the club. Uh, he's, uh, I believe, a Greater Cleveland Sports Awards Lifetime Achievement uh, you know, winner. Just uh, a, a remarkable career, and uh, uh, since then, just a, a great figure in Cleveland sports. Uh, so here's the assignment. Here's our subtexter's assignment. Uh, we're gonna, uh, you know, send out a text here in a moment, uh, asking for your feedback. Uh, we want to hear your stories about Grover, what you remember about Mike Hargrove uh, as a Cleveland Indians player, as a Cleveland Indians manager. Uh, share your stories with us, and we will share them on tomorrow's podcast and uh, in a post later on. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll look forward to that. Uh, again, you can go to uh, cleveland.com slash subtext to sign up, uh, or you can send a text to 216-208-4346, uh, 14 day free trial, and then $3.99 a month after that. Uh, Hoinsey, uh, once again, uh, we'll, we'll get back with you again tomorrow, uh, talk a little more baseball, talk a little bit more uh, about the the personalities that have stood out over your years of of covering uh, Cleveland Indians and 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 baseball here in Cleveland, uh, we'll talk to you again on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe.